Hello and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone and with me, as always, is my co-host Rob Lamorgis. Touch it. Touch it. I, I, Rob, I, no. Uh, This is the eighth episode of our Get Me Another Conan the Barbarian series, and we are very excited today to have a special guest with us, Jeff Garlock from one of our favorite podcasts, The Canon Canon. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Uh, Psyched to talk about Red Sonja. Absolutely. Surprisingly, a movie I... It happens often on The Canon Canon as well, a movie I swear I've never seen, and then every once in a while had a deep subconscious backlash to a couple scenes and realized maybe I have seen bits and pieces of it. Um, uh, there's definitely, there's things in here that once you've seen them, you're not going to, it's like it, it will stay in your brain. Oh, yeah. Um, and I got to say, we're, we're huge fans of, of your show. We are Thank huge you. fans of the Canon Canon. Um, if you could maybe tell people out there who might not be familiar with a little bit about it, because it's terrific. So basically, the Canon Canon, we are going through uh, all of the films from the Canon Film Group, which uh, I would imagine if you're listening to this, you would maybe know what Canon Film Group was. But it was a production company that in their height was owned by and run by uh, two men, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, uh, two Israeli filmmakers who came, bought a struggling production company and uh, became uh, moguls. Uh, they yeah. uh, they had amazing ideas uh, and at one point at their height, were putting out 40 to 50 movies a year. Uh, as well as buying up movie chains, etc. cetera. Uh, and yeah, we basically are just going through all of their movies. Uh, as I keep saying recently, starting to get into the struggling point because they did so many. <laughs> and most of what people know are the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, uh, sure. the uh, Schwarzenegger or the Stallone movies that kind of helped ruin them uh the american ninja <laughs> franchise the ninja franchise i love american ninja american ninja is fantastic. i'm actually going through your american ninja episodes now oh, i've listened to one and two yeah i haven't done three and four yet they're um, they're fantastic i mean they basically to some extent did create the ninja like wave oh, yeah. in america with their wrong-headed ideas because that's another big part yeah. of yoram <laughs> and especially menachem is they they think they've got to take on something and they just truly love film. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, but they've also put out piles of Cassavetti's films, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Godard films. Yeah, like, the, the, his, his King Lear. His was, King was Lear. There. They do a lot. Of, they did a lot of like filmmakers on the way out and they'll cut some deal to let them do their passion project. Uh, Jay Lee Thompson, uh, Bronson, of course, the oh, Death Wish yeah. franchise. So yeah, oh my god, we're going through all of them. Yeah, you you guys did a series on the Death Wish movies that uh, I think is fantastic film criticism, and I mean the insights that you guys had in particular, like the linking of of like the end of Death Wish four to the decline of the Reagan era in the late eighties was. I, I mean, I, I I'm just I listened to it. I'm just, just so fantastic i appreciate uh, i can't that. recommend your show enough i appreciate that yeah i mean i do i actually am very proud of the death wish series that we did uh just because to me that's ultimately is the the the, the basis of what we're doing is like we're not a 
look at these bad movies. We talk about all the right. time. Like neither of us, me and my co-host Frank Garcia Hale, do not ironically watch movies. Uh, and we have no interest in that, but we can recognize when the things we love are ridiculous and that much like with the Death Wish films, they are more of a rep- a, a reflection of what is happening in culture and pop culture than like the big movies of the time most yeah. of the time. Like it is like what the people want to see. Refl- it's like it's sadly like sometimes uh, the Twitter of the time. Like it's like you can yeah. see the the uh the deep down id of america uh and the 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 monsters that is terrifying yeah that it's a terrifying but then it's the confusingness because when you're watching it's also like but i also enjoy it and yeah i i'm an adult so yeah. i can understand that two things can be the same at the same time um so exactly. yeah it, it it's confusing yeah because the you do not necessarily have to agree with the politics of a piece of art to appreciate it. No. Uh, and I know I'm using work of art to talk about the Death Wish series, but. But they are. Yes. They are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think low culture and high culture should all have be slammed together anyways. Like it's a lie most time to think that they are separated. Uh, as we keep con- continuing into a monoculture, we are seeing that uh, it certainly doesn't matter anyway. It is all just one mash of nothing in the end it is and 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 of course what happens over time like is that that what is considered high culture at one point becomes low culture what is considered yep. low culture often gets hot becomes high culture so it i, it, I agree with you it, it I, I reject sort of the the principle that there is a low a high it's just it's just art some of it's good some of it's not and but you know it's often interesting and i have much more higher comfort level list uh watching for whatever reason, watching movies by monsters when they existed in the seventies and the eighties. So if like some of the stuff in death, like people are like, Oh, have you checked out this death wish style thing from now? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like where I'm like, I, I, I loved bone Tomahawk a lot more before I started realizing what was going on with uh, Ziegler and his like monster, like just uh, politics. I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, It's why I can go very deep on seventies Italian exploitation. And also I'm just like, they are all monsters. They are all monsters of human beings and treated humans and animals like garbage. Um, Yes. Yes, all of that. All of yeah. That is true. <laughs> um, but today we are here to talk about the third sword and sorcery film produced by Dino De Laurentiis. This is 1985's Red Sonia. Her courage was forged out of fire. Her power, a gift of the gods. Her destiny to become a glorious new hero. Red Sonia. Only one man on Earth is man enough to win her. Don't be a fool. Try it. To love her. To join her great adventure. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Lord Calador. Kill them. Two legends unite to destroy the Earth's greatest evil. God, Majesty, what you want? The world, Eichel! We must find a way in. 
I make it a rule never to take a woman unless she can beat me in a fair fight. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why not? Brigitte Nielsen. A warrior. A woman. A magnificent new legend. Now, there's two interesting things about the trailer we just listened to. One that I just wanted to point out. One is the emphasis it puts on Schwarzenegger over over uh, 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 Brigitte Nielsen, as well as I just wanted to point out they use they don't use Basil Polidorus's iconic Conan theme, which clearly Universal had the rights to, but instead they use the music from Clash of the Titans. Why not? <laughs> You got Ennio Morricone, but I guess use Clash of the Titans. Godspeed. Well, maybe it wasn't. It might not have been, you know, the score is, you know, the last thing. So maybe the, the Morricone score, which is terrific. It's yeah, one yeah. of the, oh, the yeah. best aspects of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't completed yet. A little bit of background first about the character. Red Sonia was created in 1973 by writer Roy Thomas and artist Barry Windsor Smith for the Marvel Comics Conan series. Now, the character is loosely based on the Robert E. Howard character, Red Sonia of Rogatino. Now that's Sonia with a Y. Uh, and it was for a story called The Shadow of the Vulture, which was not set in Howard's Hyborian age, but instead in the 16th century. So that said, the version of Red Sonia that we see in this film first appeared in Marvel Comics, making Red Sonia technically the first feature film starring a character created for Marvel Comics, beating Howard the Duck by a full year. Get them both in the MCU. More. (laughs) We already got Howard. Absolutely. Uh, The film adaption of Red Sonja was first announced in 1983 with, and Rob, you'll find this interesting, Ralph Bakshi as the director. Uh, We talked about one of his films, Fire and Ice, a couple of episodes ago. That would have been fascinating to see. Ultimately, Bakshi was replaced by Conan the Destroyer director Richard Fleischer, that movie we talked about in our episode last week. Uh, The script was written by British writers Clive Exton and George MacDonald Frazier, the latter of which also wrote the screenplay for the James Bond movie Octopussy. Which should give you some idea of where this thing will be headed. (laughs) (laughs) The film stars Brigitte Nielsen in the title role, the same year that she played the wife of Ivan Drago in Rocky IV, as well as Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan. Wait, no, wait, no, sorry. That's Lord Kalidor. And we'll, we'll talk about that issue a little bit more as we go. It also features Sandal Bergman as the evil Queen Gedrin, Paul L. Smith, Ernie Reyes Jr., Ronald Lacey, and Pat Roach, who was also featured in Conan the Destroyer as Toth Amon. Uh, apparently, uh, Bergman was offered the title role, but in chose instead to play the villain. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, we have a pretty damn great score from Ennio Morricone. Uh, so as we get into it, the opening title crawl tells us that her name was Red Sonia and that she lived in a savage world and her quest for justice and vengeance became legend. And what I love is you have this this opening crawl and then it pauses and almost as an afterthought, it's like, oh, this is how the legend began. Like in case the audience (laughs) might not get it. Oh, well, we should we should mention that. I mean, we uh, we should also mention that ultimately title crawl is semi-pointless like you don't you essentially have two info dumps to start this movie in a row 
but neither of the, like especially the first one is not needed it's like you you, you it doesn't give much information you're it's pretty base level this is going to be a robert e howard style pastiche essentially yes. but there is no like as soon as it's over it's like i could have picked that up literally in two <laughs> seconds Besides the fact, the only out, the only out uh, 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 expression I had was being like, "Oh, it's in the Hyborian Age." That's cool to know, like because I didn't exactly. know, I didn't ever pay attention to this one. <laughs> well, it's so weird. The opening of this movie is so odd because then we have this crawl, which, as you say, doesn't really tell us anything, and then we start with Sonya lying on the ground outside of a burning house, and what appears to be the blue fairy from Pinocchio appears and basically gives the second info dump which is basically the plot up to that point, complete with flashbacks. Like this is a sequel. It's a little bit, it's just because it's in my brain. Previously on Red Sonia. Yes, exactly. It's just because we just covered it for our Patreon, but it's a little bit Action Jackson style. Like Action Jackson is a great movie, but also starts in a way where a lot of it is like, remember what happened in the last Action Jackson? (laughs) And you're like, no, I don't because it didn't exist. And I actually would like to see more of that and there's a little bit of this case where it's just like okay like we could get into more like because it's essential in it's 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 very genre uh fantasy info dump like it as as it will continue throughout the movie it's just it's a lot of names yeah it's a lot of names and kingdoms yeah this opening vo is it with the flashbacks is also i think just indicative of this movie has just such wild tone swings. Yeah. Wild. Um, and and I, it almost to me feels like they filmed it and it was supposed to just play straight. Yeah. And then someone said, you cannot have something this disturbing in a movie where you have like just like these wild slapstick jokes later. And let's we're gonna scale it back and have it be a flashback, which doesn't necessarily make it any less disturbing or better. Um, no, it slaps you in the face that you're like, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer. That's like, great. Here is the female led Conan. That's essentially what yeah. this is. We're just like, basically uh, you're, you're, they, they're, they don't want to do another Conan. They can't for whatever reason, I'm assuming rights. Uh, they want to kind of pull a call the conqueror. Like, Oh, this is just anything vaguely related to Robert E. Howard. And it's a bummer that you are kind of slapped in the face, both with info dumps, but that you're like, okay, this is a female fronted Conan that will get sexually assaulted immediately. And then, the sexuality yeah. slash sexual threat is going to be a humongous part of this movie. Oh, yeah. Nonstop, uh, both from the good guys and the bad guys, quote unquote. Yes. And it's a little bit of a bummer <laughs> because of the wild tone shifts. Let's have some fun slapstick humor with this little child also. Right. Which I wonder, <laughs> I the whole time was wondering because like I didn't completely recognize until halfway through the watch that it was the same director as Conan the Destroyer. Yeah. And, you know, pretty quickly I was like, oh, because I'm a, a, one of the reasons I was, you know, psyched you asked me on for this section was I'm a huge Conan the Barbarian fan. Like the original one, uh, the stories by Robert E. Howard, uh, I, I have a, you know, uh, for a period at like a minor obsession with like the weirdness of Robert E. Howard was like pen pals with H.P. Lovecraft Yes, so they were like weird, weird best friends. And we, I actually yeah. wrote like a pilot 
that we were trying to pitch to Adult Swim at one point that was like Venture Brothers style where Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft were kind of like Cain and Abel and Sandman, but they were like a Abbott and Costello-y <laughs> duo because picturing the two of them makes no sense together with his idea of barbarism None. and, you know, Lovecraft's idea of anti-Semitism. But, right. um, uh, and so, and, and Conan the Barbarian as I'm sure has come up many times. Yes, it's just like this kind of perfect fantasy movie and also a genre that my wife has pointed out, like you love genre so much, but fantasy isn't your like bread and butter. Like like when it gets into just not my one I gravitate towards ever when it comes to books, except for Conan and a big chunk is just Milius uh, and my obsession with Schwarzenegger. But when I was a kid, this is all a long way to say, when I was a kid, I I was a little more obsessed with Conan the Destroyer Partly because it was on HBO more. That's yeah. I've realized that is what happens. It's just things got sold as packages. That happens with Canon too. Like H and they had an HBO deal. So it was on all the time. But it's also funnier. It's goofier. It has like yes. lighter tone. And immediately, visually, I was like, this feels familiar and certainly isn't Milius style. And I was like, why no. is everyone dressed like they're in a disco? <laughs> And part of it is because it is the Conan, the Destroyer director. It, and, and, and I wonder if it didn't have this slapsticky tone as much before yeah. he got involved. Because it just reeks of, it worked in the Destroyer. And you're like, it didn't completely. It worked when I was a child. But as I've rewatched, it's a little bit more <laughs> right. of a bummer of a movie. Yeah. No, we, we talked about Conan, the Destroyer last week. And I... I made the the comparison that if uh, that I, I think there's a lot of similarities between uh, John Milius's Conan the Barbarian and Richard Donner's Superman, even mm-hmm. though the, the the characters are obviously quite different yeah, yeah. and the philosophies couldn't be more different, yes. but the way they approach the characters is, yeah. and that Conan the Destroyer feels like you're going right to Superman three, yes, uh, and you know like it, and, and you have that change from Donner to Fly uh, to Donner to Fleischer. There you go. From <laughs> Donner to, to Richard Lester. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no it, there's no hybrid movie in between as with the Superman series where you have Superman 2, which is kind of a little bit of both. Right. Uh, this is obviously then the Supergirl. <laughs> yes. That, uh, if we're going to carry that analogy through. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, first of all, I want to I want to backtrack to something Rob said is like this. This I think this opening was originally intended to be straight, you know, just played straight as it was because there's a shot in the trailer of, of uh, Sonia like tied up in a burning house mm. and uh, a guy like shoots this crossbow and like freezer. I'm like, Oh, that was all part of the original opening. And it was in the trailer and cut. And uh, and I might've read that there was footage at some point of like her brother actually dying, like their brother uh, that we yeah. find out like yeah. it, it, there was more of that, but it, that's where it also feels odder is it almost feels like, uh, you know, uh, sexually assaulting, raping her was an afterthought, but then becomes the main thought in the movie. <laughs> right. It, and it's weird because we're told that that Queen Gedrin wanted Sonia sexually. And when Sonia rejected her, Gedrin then ordered her family killed and Sonia raped. Sonia cuts Gedrin across the face, making her responsible for her disfigurement and wearing that ridiculous mask that she wears <laughs> for most of the movie. It is so dumb looking. Yes. I, I'm just like, oh, man. 
Um, you almost forget that listen. it's covering that scar. Then when she pulls it off and she goes, does any of the death of your family compare to this? And immediately you're like, yes. Yeah, I, it's <laughs> yes, worse it than what you did. Crazy. And I did forget that it was covering the scar. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> did. And when it gets to the end, I, I was, uh, oh, yeah, that's there. But it is, it is again, like, it's like, uh, why Conan works so well? And again, this is the interesting part of, like, your podcast, because you, you traffic in the world that I kind of love, especially in Italian cinema, like, the is the, like, oh, yeah. billion copies of one, because, you know, Italian cinema, especially in the 70s, rights did not matter. Um, you know, you could do anything you wanted. I'm still getting over our Hercules double feature episode from a couple weeks ago. Like, I have oh, not fantastic. fully healed from the, the Hercules experience. I mean, there is we we have threatened to do so many on the canon of Italian movies like Street Law, which is Fabio, like is uh, Franco Nero's Death Wish, like that's like an ineffective death, or like the cop with blue jeans is the one I'm the most obsessed with, which is essentially just Serpico, but they just changed the name and they have a Serpico poster in the background. Yes, because just Italy just didn't give a fuck. They were just like, if it worked once, let's do it a thousand times. In America, they're like, if it worked once, we'll do it like twenty times. Um, right. But but the thing with Conan the Barbarian is a surprisingly simple movie. Like it's yes. it's like it it aesthetically, it's actually kind of simple. It's like a simple story of vengeance. It follows on how the Robert E. Howard short stories work, where oftentimes it's just Conan stumbles upon a set piece and does battle and gets angry at Crom and has a little <laughs> vengeance. Like, but it is pretty simple in what it's doing. And this is like immediately not simple no the info dump leads so way too much plot and it's it really was hard to get over that again long way to get to that the queen being into red sonia is a very rough move that as we always joke on can can is like you we should if we had a proclaimer at the beginning it would be like where you get like it's an r rating because of swearing you know, uh, uh, violence and 80s racism. Right. <laughs> In this case, it's also we've got 80s homophobia because it's immediately yes. making the one immediate LGBTQ character evil. And it seems like she's evil because of. Because. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like, I have no problem with I have no problem with a villain being a woman. I have no problem with a villain being a queer woman. But to build her motivation around being spurned by Sonya, it minimizes her. It makes her petty and small instead of interesting and scary. It borders on camp. And it evilizes the other. It's a very quick evil where it's just like, well, she must be evil because she's gay. And you're just like, okay, well, that's a bad tactic to start right away. The comparison I kept making in my head while watching this is, you know, because here we have an action movie built around uh, a heroine who had suffered, uh, you know, great trauma, and there is that element running throughout, which they will not let you forget. Right. But you compare that, and this is a totally unfair comparison, making it anyway, uh, to Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road. Sure. And you just look at the styles of dealing with it. There are times when you're doing something like this that maybe you don't want the literal words to come out of a character's mouth. You Mm -hmm, want a little more subtext. You want a little more uh, taste level. But here, it's almost like they just, 
I don't know. They just feel it was a different era. Maybe they feel they didn't have time or they didn't trust the audience. I, I, I don't know why, but it is just so ham fisted that it yep. really makes it even worse. It feels it feels canon to me in a canon move where we're always pointing out where it's just like it's not for Menachem and Yoram and like an older like Jewish director from Israel to be right. like touching upon breakdancing culture or rap culture. <laughs> right. But in this case, it definitely is like it's a but it's like it's it's not Michael Winner level. No. Well, few things are. Right, exactly. Because it, it actually was re- like watching it. Uh, I One of my favorite books, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I need to reread for the billionth time, but Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol Clover, which if you haven't mm-hmm. read it, it is a feminist reading of uh, uh, horror, but especially the rape revenge films. Um, sure. Uh, and she's the woman who, a uh, uh, professor who kind of coined the final girl term. Oh. But it it it's a it's a interesting book cuz like the first time I read it like she showed up also in this IFC documentary called The American Nightmare that was about uh North American horror in the 70s and it blew my mind because I was like finally to some extent like this is what we're going to try to do with the canon down the line. It's an actual reading of like Last House on the Left might be really painful to get through, but it's a representation yeah. of the feelings of like people returning from dealing with Vietnam and this, et cetera, et cetera. And that there is a reading of a movie I find reprehensible to watch. I spit on your grave, Mm -hmm. but that there is a reading that's like, and also here's the feminist reading of it. It's like one of the first times I had the closest thing to like intersectional reading of genre. This is not interesting. That. I would love to see if there is a essay on it, but this is not that the movie. Well, this gets to my my big issue with Red Sonia, and and I I realized it. You know, just like this was this was my like my my big take was that Red Sonia is actually an anti feminist movie masquerading as female empowerment. It is it is actually deceptive in what it is. Because in that opening scene, we get, you know, Glinda the Good Fairy who grants Sonia great strength because her sword arm must have no equal. Well, Conan didn't need a magical source for his strength. He just needed a decade on the wheel of pain. But Sonia, because she's a woman, must have her abilities granted to her by a magical source. Moreover... The Blue Fairy insists that Sonya never lie with a man unless he defeats her in fair combat. And if if feminism is about women's control of their own bodies and sexuality, this is the opposite of that. It makes Sonya's sexuality a prize to be won. Yeah. You know, we watched a movie a couple of weeks ago, uh, Matt Simber's Hundra, which which comes a couple of years before this and is, is a very similar movie. And that really was the feminist version of Conan. Here, it's like the pretend, oh, we're going to pretend, you know, girl power and, and, and that sort of thing. But instead, it's actually distinctly anti-feminist. And what they do with the villain minimizes the villain, which is anti-feminist as well. It takes away all agency. Yeah, that's it. That, it, that comes up often. With canon films, it's it's one of the burdens to bear with genre, especially of the age. And again, and we are also saying this is three, I see, like males, like three yeah. dudes. Yes, but it is it, that we can even recognize it in that that it's like you know there might be a reading of this, but I'm really hard pressed to think that there is one because yes, I agree. Like ultimately, 
I not Conan, as I kept calling Schwarzenegger's character yeah. in my notes, because you're like, he is. He's supposed to, yeah. he's clearly, he's clearly, as said, doing a favor to Dino De Laurentiis, thought he was going to be on set for a week. Yeah, was on set for four. Yeah, on four. Part of that is because starts having a relationship with Brigitte, I believe. Right. But they cut angles to make him more of a character he didn't think he would be. But he yeah. ends up being a hashtag not all men. <laughs> sort of character which is such a fucking jordan peterson fucking reading (laughs) of conan which is a different thing again like and 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 that her arm will have no match she she's she's yeah she's given no agency agency she has to have a male give her that and then ultimately not conan is a match and more like, right. so you're like, okay, so not, hashtag not all men was able to best you. You've defeated this weird non-feminist feminist reading of a empowered because combined with also, look, I actually think Brigitte can be amazing in things. On a actual filmmaking level, she is not the great, she is Dolph Lundgren early delivering yeah. lines equivalent of acting in this. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I mean, she she looks the part great. I mean, and clearly they cast her because of the 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 the, the figure that she struck and the physicality that she had. She but is Red not, Sonia visually to me. Yeah, visually, absolutely. But, uh, and, and just as, as Schwarzenegger was Conan visually, but Schwarzenegger had a, a charm and a charisma that she does not possess. I mean, Schwarzenegger has a uh, uh, we've all been trying to figure out how Schwarzenegger works for his entire career because he does have he and he points it out he's like I have everything against me like my accent I sound silly and that's in his words (laughs) in Total Recall his amazing autobiography that he still cannot understand why Maria Shriver would be upset at him (laughs) somehow (laughs) it is a depressing (laughs) book because he's still kind of like He kind of starts, he vaguely starts getting into how he impregnated his maid, but also Uh, it's just like, maybe one day she'll get back with me. And you're like, oh, Arnold, Uh, because as my friend John Murray, who's on the candid often uh, as a guest has pointed out, Arnold is so egocentric that all he can remember is weightlifting and how good his body looked. He doesn't understand life. If uh, just on an aside, you all should do a bonus episode. I think just on the uh, commentary track from Conan the Barbarian. That was one of the first commentary (laughs) tracks I ever got into. John Milius and Schwarzenegger. John Milius, I've talked about this since I since I graduated college. So I'm going on like 23 years or something of talking about this commentary <laughs> track. John Milius is creaming his jeans about his own work. Right. He's constantly just going, look at look at that shot. Look at that. Look at the sword. <laughs> look at that the power of steel. And Arnold oh my God. truly does not remember anything. He is just telling you what's on the screen. He literally at one point goes, this is where Conan's riding a horse. And you're like, yeah, he's riding a horse. And at one point just goes, man, Conan got laid a lot, huh? Like, you know, the oh one part God. that maybe isn't the most feminist reading of the first Conan. But um, I think an, uh, I'm just thinking about this now, too, is like one of the things that makes Conan work is if you don't have 
or makes Schwarzenegger work. You don't have another person pointing out he has a strange accent. Right. And it just is. Brigitte is like having a little bit of a struggle of like when you're supposed to put pauses in lines of yeah. dialogue. And I don't blame her. She wasn't an actress at no. that beginning part. She's amazing in Cobra. And I know if you listen to Can and Can, I talk about Cobra too much. Oh, uh, we love Cobra. You can never talk about Cobra too much. I, that's how I feel too. Yeah. Frank even sometimes. No. like, we got to stop talking about Cobra. But I think she's great in that movie. She does exactly what she should be doing. And she kind of uh, can uh, accentuate Sly's weirdness. But... Yeah, when you have Cohen, when you so have, bizarre in that movie. Yes, nonstop. Like so like, it's, it's that that movie is like pure. If you distilled Stallone into uh, one movie, it's why Cobra. I love it. because 1985 was the year that still it was like his his that was his brilliant year. You had Rambo: First Blood Part Two, you had Rocky Four, and then he put all of those chips into Cobra because crime is a disease, and he was the He's cure. The cure. And, and you know, Menachem and Yoram put all the chips in them. I mean, that's one of the reasons yeah. they fucked up there, like, on top of the world, <laughs> is they gave 20 million bucks with this MGM deal or whatever that, like, ruined it yeah. because Cobra didn't do well, Over the Top didn't do well. Like, I love both of them, but I also get it. And then you had the summer of Superman 4 and Masters of the Universe, and, you know, that's... That's the ball game right there. And with some of the ones we're getting into, we always list off other movies coming out at the time. It's like at the same time rapping. And then it's like, <laughs> or just like, there'll be like uh drop, you know, detective school dropouts or something like just some movie that shouldn't even exist that they're putting money into too. And as we just covered street smart, which got them an Oscar nomination, which is amazing. Movie. And they didn't promote it literally at all. They were like, no, this isn't going to work. They're amazing. I love them. Not to go off on my podcast, but no, that's no. And it's, why I do it. Absolutely. Um, we're next introduced to the temple that is staffed entirely by women, including Sonia's sister, and they are preparing to destroy an object called the talisman, this glowing green orb that apparently created the world and everything in it, but is now too dangerous to keep around. And they have this plan that they're going to drop the thing into a long, dark hole and seal that hole. So before they can complete their task, Queen Gedrin forces storm the castle, uh, the storm the temple, SAS style, and seize the talisman. I got to say it from the off. I really like the the temple itself. Like it's got this conical shape. It's very cool looking. Set it's design different. in this entire movie is fantastic. That's Absolutely. why that and Ennio's score are the two big. Th- and Ernie Rice Jr. just being like an adorable fighter. Like, but yeah. uh, I think the set design is like over the top for everything. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. like insane, but. I, I I agree. The minute that started, I was like, oh, okay, I'll be into the set design for these. Super ornate, doesn't work in the costumes as well. Um, no. They look a little the barbarians, uh, the costumes. Uh, at least the, at least Richard Fleischer allowed uh, Schwarzenegger to wear a shirt in this movie. I mean, I was bummed he was wearing a shirt in this fucking movie. I was like, <laughs> what, you got Schwarzenegger? You're not showing off the goods, baby? <laughs> Come on, what are we doing here? <laughs> But this is also the beginning visually, once you get past the two beginnings before the beginning, yeah. I, uh, it, it, it is, you can almost squint your eyes and see the movie that could have been the great version yeah. because mm-hmm. you get those long uh, Vista shots of Conanadan riding <laughs> his horse uh, across the uh, Vistas. And then when you come into this temple, 
I mean, you've got that overhead shot and all of the women, uh, the rings of women coming in and out with their swords. I mean, visually, this is a really damn good. Uh, And, you know, you combine the set design on top of that. And and this is part of that. Like, there are times where you're just like, the taste level of this and just visually letting stuff play out is amazing. Yeah, 100%. And then later, they just lose their minds. They just lose their minds. That overhead shot reminds me of John Borman's Excalibur and the shot down of the round table and the swords and everything. I'm like, that's fantastic. It's a beautiful shot. Makes no sense what the fuck they're doing, but it's a beautiful shot. No idea. No, it's, it's, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And the the, the glowing green thing. Um, We're also introduced in this scene to Ronald Lacey as Gedrin's second-in-command, Eichol, uh, and of course, he will be remembered, you know, he, just his, his memorable role as the Nazi tote in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he's kind of playing the same part here, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes. Sadly, I know him now from uh, wearing brown face in Sahara. Oh, my God. Uh, a movie we just watched on the Candy Kid. <laughs> yeah. I have not seen Sahara as you of yet. You do not and, need to uh, see Sahara. Uh, just listen to our episode <laughs> and enjoy us. Getting through the pain yeah. of Sahara. Oh my God! Yeah, it's uh, and and again, he's uh, we get Sandal Bergman as Queen Gedrin in this scene again, and uh, obviously she played Valeria in Conan the Barbarian, and as good as she is in that film, oh, she really isn't in this movie. I don't. I, no. I it just it's 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 not working, and she she wears I the stupid that, mask. Right. I think to me that speaks to how they maybe hobble themselves. Like, I think yes. they they wanted, they were just like, Conan did great. This is a franchise. Like, we can kind of create off of this, this low-cost uh, IP. Um, we'll get yeah. the Robert E. Howard fans in. Uh, uh, this seems like, honestly, probably one of the closer Get Me Anothers in your series because it is the same people. Yeah. But because of that, Pretty much the entire time you're watching, include especially I think including her, you're basically just reminded of the better movie that you could have been watching, which is yeah, Conan the Barbarian, like and even Conan the Destroyer to some extent. Like it's beyond even the themes. You're just constantly like, oh, awesome, Conan's there. Oh, it's not Conan. Oh, awesome, <laughs> like there's fucking Conan's love. Oh wait, it's not her. Like it's a no. oh, this kind of sounds like Basil Polidorius. Wait, no. Why you made me bummed? It's Ennio Morricone? Like, that it kind of sounds more like a Western than it sounds like Basil Polidorius. It doesn't sound like it's going to become a power metal record. Like, yeah. And and if you listen to this show more than once, you will you will have picked up on the fact that evil women are kind of a thing for me. And I could not stand the Gedrin character. I'm like, well, she's no Taramis. You know, the role uh, that Sarah Douglas played last in the movie we talked about last week, Conan the Destroyer, whatever faults that film had, Sarah Douglas wasn't one of them. And here it's like, oh, this is the bad version of that. Like it's she's she's petulant. I mean, Sarah Douglas is great. I mean, she's fantastic in Destroyer, I think, you know, like yeah. she's great in that because she's great in Superman. Like when she shows that like, oh, yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. She just had a, she has a vibe. She's fantastic. Like that movie has its problems, but she is sure yeah. shit isn't one of them. And here it's like, oh, well, this is the bad version of that role. Yeah. Cause you're also dumped anytime she's on screen. I'm also realizing is some of the more convoluted mythology. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like anytime she's there is when you're really just like, what is going on exactly in this movie? Anything about the talisman. The talisman is like a, 
green goo blob that ki- that will kill men, won't kill women, but also maybe candles will power it, but you need to destroy it in a giant pill crusher that will go yeah. into a hole that's not as deep as you think because I was shocked you when can you could hear, hear the women screaming. Yes! It's like so it, like, yeah, it's they, like Austin Powers. You're like, oh my god, I can hear. They, they, they start throwing the, the victims down in the hole and you can hear them screaming and like hitting the bottom. Like, well, I thought this was supposed to be like the bottomless pit, but it I'm is. I'm not that hurt. <laughs> I am badly, very badly burned. Yeah. Please send somebody down. Oh. Yeah, and if if your mythology is this convoluted, it's probably a bad idea to have the bad bad woman's henchman call it out on screen. I know this is jumping yeah. the gun, but at the end, he's essentially saying, "Wait, you're going to destroy the whole world? This doesn't make sense." And I'm also agreeing. This doesn't I, make sense. I laughed out loud when he go when he basically was like, "What's with all the candles?" Like his wording yeah. wasn't. <laughs> His wording wasn't that far off, and it, but truly, I'm like, I'm with you, brother. Like, what is going on with the candle? And and I do think that is a um, copy of a copy genre trope is the misunderstanding of complicated mythology. Like, I do think, like, yes. it's just like too complicated mythology. At least for me, like, I mean, it comes up on the can all the time where sometimes I'm like, how am I so dumb? And I just am swimming in plot stuff. But like, I shut off. Like, it's like an M. Night movie sometimes, too, where I'm just like, it's just a (laughs) lot of words, man. Like, just simplify this shit. Like, just get. And if you have two info dumps to start the movie. To start your at the top of your movie. And I still don't know what's going on. Get out of here with this. Come on. And I'm just saying, if you, if you're going to have a, a basically what seems to amount to a solar powered super weapon, don't yeah. bring it back to your kingdom of perpetual night. Yeah. Like maybe you're not really thinking it through there at that point. Uh, there is, there is a weird, I will say there's a weird sexual tinge to this movie. And I, I, at first I wasn't sure if it was me, like if I'm just a sicko or if it was the movie, but it's the movie. Like when she's, she orders the guy to touch the, the, the thing and he disappears. Then she orders someone else. She orders a woman to touch it. Now, first of all, who's going to be the second person to touch this thing? I'm like, right. well, oh, well you could just kill me because I'm yeah. going to, but like, oh, she, you know, she seems out, touch it. And then, you know. So it's true. Only women may touch it. And I'm like, is it me? Am I a sicko? Is that it? Or is it, this is the movie. This is actually the movie. I think if you start, honestly, I do think if you start off a movie again with a sexual assault and a quote unquote evil queer woman as your villain, like you're, you're imbuing the entire thing with a, and that there's the idea of the the Amazonian quote unquote the the yeah. the the the, the, right. the they're only women call like it's I I think they're playing off of that I do think like yeah. and and there are too many the, the I they're not sexual yeah. innuendo there's a sexual vibe yeah it's a vibe it's a weird feeling that is sort of that runs throughout it and and I think there's an I think there's enough uh uh space in between sometimes to make you forget that it's happening yes and then you're reminded of it it feels when you do that as like a structure thing I think it 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 can often feel like more of a bummer because like fuck I thought that would maybe be a one-off I thought we'd like that right. would be the one thing I'd have to defend if I like this movie, but it gets a little, it gets a little winner. 
It's like there's the one scene in Beastmaster with where where Beastmaster's putting the moves on Tanya Roberts and it feels, you know, kind of like off and weird, but like that's the only time in that movie that that movie kind of goes that direction and the rest of it it's kind of fine. Uh here it's like yeah, it comes back. Yeah, it's a lazy older white man move to be like, well, one of the most violent things in the world is a woman getting sexually assaulted. So, I'm going to use Let's it do that. To my advantage. Like, what yes. do you think, Dino? Yes. Like, and you're like, he's like, go, go for it. <laughs> like, what, what problem do I have with it? Older Italian man with lots of money. Nothing touches exactly. him. <laughs> it often feels like when they do use it, they go, well, that's kind of a bummer. Let's lighten this up pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> Which really also doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, it's more than a bummer. God damn it. Don't move on. You're killing me. God, <laughs> yeah. you guys stink. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, absolutely true. Um, Sonia's sister escapes. Uh, she's one of the, the guardians of the temple. She escapes, but she gets an arrow to her back on a zip line just before reaching Conan. Uh, I mean, Kaldor. And she finds. She it's finds, nice that uh, they he's, just he's, could go to Cabo and just go to a, like a zip yeah. line, like you're on vacation in the Bahamas <laughs> or something. Really set up for that, you know. And then he he she goes off he goes off to find you know Sonia who's uh, at the training ground. I love the training grounds. There's another case of I love the yeah. production design. You have yeah. that thing where it's like the statue you ride through like the legs, and you, you have the training ground. Um, and you know you 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 have her. She's training with the Grand Master, who also is enough of a hornball to admit that he'd be macking on Sonia if he if he was only younger. So I guess that's something. But and that his final le- what's his final lesson? His final lesson to her: <sighs> you must learn to like men a little better. After everything, yeah. she, she's learned everything. Yeah, after all of that, and he's like, "I'm going to impart you with this wisdom." Because by the way, I'm not a character anymore. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> you never see me again. Uh, we're just going to assume you've learned everything. And the final thing I want to tell you: it was like essentially his deathbed. Is like smile yeah. more is what she, he's telling yeah. her. It's, you'd be you'd you'd look prettier if you smiled more. Yeah. That's really that's what he Bummer. says to her because this is not a feminist movie disguised as one. It is a yes. it is a Trojan horse of anti feminism. Yes. and yeah, from from the Grandmaster on down. But uh, the bull that Vana dies under is really cool. <laughs> the stone bull. Yeah. So yes. I'm all, I will always have my stone bull. This Hyborian, this Hyborian land is not in want of crazy giant ornate <laughs> statues. No, it is not. That maybe have rocks that look like they've gutted the bull. Like I was a little unclear on what the set <laughs> yeah. design of that was supposed to be. Like I was like, is that like the teats? Or what exactly is that? But I'm glad it's there. I mean, she had a place to hang out. Yeah, and well, you know, she's dying, and and her, you know, Conan, Cal, Calador. He's Conan. He's not Caldor. He is. He is not Caldor. Like, like, like the old the store, store that exactly. my, my parents used to take me to. Yeah. Or you buy a journey but- record for two ninety nine at Caldor. <laughs> And you're like, where's the Conan soundtrack? But like, it, he he brings Sonya to her sister. Her sister's dying, and it seems like that Sonya doesn't even understand that her sister's dying because at one point she says, "Later we can talk," and it's like, no, you really can't. She's gonna die, right. and now they have 13 days to destroy the talisman for reasons I have no idea. Yeah, that's unclear. That is just 
genre timeline. Just put a put a put a stop on it for no reason. Well, actually, I think it all relates to the amount of candle power that's going on in the temple. Uh, it's the charge. In thirteen time. days, they run out of wax. Yes. I get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's it. That's it. You know, it's it, you know, and she refuses. Conan's help, uh, whatever, Kel, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> she says, I don't need any man's help. And and it strikes me as this is, okay, when, when men who don't really believe in strong women try to write strong women, mm. they often make those characters come across as abrasive and petulant. Yeah. Because that's what Sonya is in this movie, because that is their vision of, of what they think, oh well, this is simulating a strong woman is to make her is to make her abrasive, mm-hmm. as opposed to, and again, I, I come back to Matt Simber's Hundra, which is just a way more successful version of the same thing. Nothing in Red Sonia can come close to the sequence in Hundra where she turns back around. She's being chased by 16 men on horseback. And at one point she decides, oh, this is where I'm gonna make my stand, and she takes them out one at a time and it's amazing and they're not willing to do they're not willing to actually show her be a badass they just have her being difficult to deal with because that's what they think of strong a little uptight man she just smiled more i think it's just i do also think it doesn't help and this and 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 it's not a slight towards brigitte it's just the time that she is like her first acting role and she was hired for her looks they certainly, and she was not a natural English speaker. She's not a natural English speaker. So when she's like, someone is using the talisman, like you're like, okay, got a little <laughs> stumbles there. But the f- it, it 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 it's like they 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 had to lean into that version of abrasive, quote unquote. Yeah, because also. Uh, she just can't like the way they shot it. Clearly, she's not very comfortable with the sword. There's like one shot where she spins it, but it definitely has like just like they cheated not Conan to be in the movie more and essentially be his secondary mm-hmm. character. They definitely do a lot of the cheating for fighting, and it it emphasizes that you're like okay, the main trait of her is she's supposed to be like abrasive. She's not really a great fighter. She's not a great talker like it's not great <laughs> anything else in that like and that's on their end to me like that to me is like just like oh no we we brought in like just for her face yeah. uh yeah. what it, and and so you, you and almost body. yeah and it doesn't help if you already have these themes in there that that is in there that kind of just like emphasizes yeah the issues that are already prevalent and when they have her teaching the prince how to handle a sword when clearly He's 10 times better than her. It, it yeah. really doesn't help either. He's Ernie Race Jr. Come on. Look yeah. at the guy. He's better than we all are. Better than we will ever be. Yes. When he was 10. <laughs> uh, this is this is a perfect segue because this around this time in the film, we're introduced to Prince Tarn and his manservant, Falcon, played by Ernie Reyes Jr. and Paul L. Smith, respectively. Ernie Reyes Jr., is an actor, a martial artist, made his film debut in The Last Dragon. Oh, uh, yeah. And starred in movies like Surf Ninjas, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, is a, is, is a genuinely you know outstanding martial artist. Paul L. Smith was, of course, the Beast Raban in David Lynch's Dune and iconic in one of the first movies that I, like when I was a kid, that I saw in the movie theater and sort of latched onto as Bluto, 
in yeah. Popeye opposite uh, Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. He's incredible in that movie. Um, and, you know, and a number of others. Do you know you can still visit that set? It's still up. I yeah. think they made in, an amusement in, park it Malta, around I it. Think? I think so. There's an amusement park based around it that's there. Uh, yeah. yeah, Popeye, one of the weirdest movies to watch as a child. You're just like, what is, I mean, where's to watch as an adult? Yeah. And, and they're, they, they are doing a double act here with, you know, oh, the yeah. prince and his, his, uh, his, his, his manservant. And, you know, uh, Prince Tarn is the heir to the kingdom of Hoblock, which has recently been destroyed using the talisman. And at the beginning we meet them, they're balancing on this giant hand. I don't know what is happening here. Um, or why, but they're all like on the edge of a chasm and they're just like, they add some color to the movie. I, I like them both. Yeah. They're fun. They're like that. Yeah. That's the most Robert E. Howard Conan to me sometimes is there. say so it's just like, I mean, but it's also the destroyer bit. It's that, uh, yeah. Conan's little, uh, toad. I can never remember that actor's name, but he was the reason oh, I uh, loved it's Tracy Walter. Yeah. Tracy Walter. And then what's the actor who played the wizard? Um, uh, Mako. Mako. Yes. I always blank on my, but like they were my favorite parts of Destroyer. And yes, to totally. me, these guys are that. They basically were like, we need them to be here and like have some set pieces, have some just like, yeah, we stumbled upon some stuff and they're going to be goofy and, yeah. you know, yeah. Ernie Ray's is going to hit on her. They go beyond the goofy though, because, and this is a problem when you're talking about secondary or tertiary characters, Tarn and Falcon have the most touching human relationship in this whole damn film. Yes. Where it yeah. it is played for laughs, but it gets to a point where it is very touching how much uh Falcon looks after him and, the, and, oh, and yeah. the relationship between them. Cause at first you it, it could go with the oh it's the the petulant prince and he's gonna wind up leaving him. Yeah. But it's like the prince grows in a in a very mature way. Yeah. And Falcon's kind of mm-hmm. proud of it and and just like the care that they have for each other. And then you look at Sonya and Conan and you go, I wish some of that could yeah. have been there too. Yeah. Sure. But you know. Uh Sonya has a choice of two roads to follow. She can either take the long one that's safe, or she can take Brightag's toll road. And of course she chooses the latter, and we soon meet Brightag, played by Pat Roach, uh, who is basically cosplaying Voltan from Flash Gordon. Yeah. And of course, you know, he charges a toll for those who want to use his road. From Sonya, he doesn't want money, of course, because exactly what this movie will want. You know, it's like, oh, he wants her sexually because, of course. Uh, my question is, is that the toll for everybody? You know, what about dudes who want to pass? Like, it's just, is, is he omni? Is he omnisexual, uh, pansexual? I don't know. I but, think you know, so, course- honestly. I did think that there was, like, a... a- a, a tone to that scene that again was playing yeah. light and loose. Well, the way he's kind of relaxing on his couch, like it's very yeah. And the two the two guards next to him were like a little bit like sexually posed to me. Um, yeah. uh, uh, and that it is like you know an all male. Uh, uh, kind of grouping, all wearing crazy helmets. There's a lot of crazy helmets in yeah. this movie. Um, but <laughs> this yeah, this is definitely I, a movie of crazy helmets. I don't think it was handled well because I, but I do no, wonder no. if they uh, thought that it, it feels like it's a, it's an it's an afterthought a little bit. Yeah. Um, and of uh, course, because she is sworn to never give herself to anyone who hasn't, she hasn't, hasn't defeated her in fair combat. There's going to be a fight, which Sonya wins. Uh, but then she's vastly outnumbered by his men. And of course, 
Conan Kaldor shows up just in time to save her because nothing says feminism like continually needing Arnold Schwarzenegger to save you. And then, yeah. of course, after that, she just takes off. <laughs> well, what stage feminism is that? Right. She's like, I'm out of here. Though, to be fair, <laughs> most of us would need Arnold Schwarzenegger to save them. So at least with that. You've got well, generally yes. 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 That's that is yeah. that is true. But when you're making a movie, when you know it's Red Sonia above the title, it's that's the name of the movie. It's not it's not Caldor the the Great. Eh, you know? If you look at those posters, it mostly is Caldor yeah, oh, no, the Great. Oh no, the posters <laughs> emphasize him. Uh, apparently, the reason he's not Conan is because Universal had the exclusive film rights to the name Conan. Right. And when De Laurentiis, they this did not get was not released by Universal, it was MGM. And so they they realized, I think at like the 11th hour, they're like, oh, we can't call him Conan. Ah, uh, well, uh, scratch out Conan, call him Kaldor, that'll do, you know, they and that's shopping fun, at Kaldor, uh, and they were like, that'll work, whatever. <laughs> that's what happened. Um, you know, and, and meanwhile, while all of this is happening, Queen Gedrin is, is conquering the world with the talisman because an army that carries the talisman with it uh, is invincible. Uh, and as long as they keep it charged in the room full of candles, which we talked about. And uh, Gedrin, God, you know, one of the things I actually dislike, Teramis, in her in her palace in Conan the Destroyer, she's got extras. She's got peacocks hanging out. Here, you know, Gedrin, like her castle is empty except for like one dude and a spider. And it's like, oh, okay. She's got a puppet tarantula. Which the spider would bother me if it didn't look so fake. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't like spider. It still bothered me a little. I realized I was a little like, I was like, oh, I saw this as a child, this part. I don't like that spider. Yeah. Oh, um, as a kid, that would. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, she's like, I don't need people. I just need gold plated skeletons <laughs> posing <laughs> everywhere. And well, a- admittedly, she has one of my <laughs> favorite. She's got. Uh, a mystical television set. Yes. Big old flat screen. She got that wizard who comes in. He's just like, check out what's going on. Yeah, the, the evil Emo Phillips. And he's on you porn at one point. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, that we stumbled on. He's like, oh, should have cleared my browsing history. Well, um, yeah, it's like it's, it's a topless dancing girl. It just changes the channel. Like when you snap your laptop screen closed when your wife yeah. comes in the room. But he makes Not that a, that's like, ever happened to me. No, no, it never happened yeah. to me either. He definitely like pulls on his collar with his long black fingernails, <laughs> letting steam come out. Like he's like, "Ew, pick the wrong channel." Uh, yeah, he was watching. I bring it up all the time. I can't it, but to get to some deep cut exploitation movies, I end up putting these weird Roku channels on that like oh, are fifty yeah. percent softcore Czechoslovakian. Like just videos of just like big breasted women, just like just dancing. But I don't have it for that. I truly am there to get like a Django knockoff that for some reason is on there as well. And I've had my wife walk in and just be like, what are you watching? I was like, I swear it truly is just the commercial they're making me get through so I can watch live like a cop, die like a man or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nightmare. Like I'm getting Um, nothing out of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Sonya meets up with Tarn and Falcon again. Um, Tarn is being drawn and quartered. And they I did love, oh, they they cross that bridge, which is this the skeleton of a giant ancient creature. Right. I thought that was so cool. Yes. Like I was, I was very huge Zelda, fan Breath of, that. of the Wild. That felt like a, something definitely Link would cross. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and somewhere along the way, Sonia mentions that they only have four days left, which means it's been nine days since they started out. And it's another issue I have with this movie. There's no sense of the passage of time whatsoever. God, like no. in Conan the Barbarian, you have the Wheel of Pain, and it's that great scene that marks time. Here, I have no idea how long between the time her family was killed and going to train with the Grandmaster. How long did she train with the Grandmaster? None of that I have any idea. It's just it's it's just like, oh, it, it's all just happening in a perpetual now. It kind of doesn't matter. That's the other beauty. Too. You're guess. just like, no, but I'm with you. Like I did like I didn't pick up on the 14 days because it doesn't matter. It must have like been said in almost in passing to me to like not be even noticing it. And then it's not really that big of a deal. Like, there's a lot of just like, oh, yeah, we guess we should get moving. Hey, let's look at this. Let's hang out over here. There there are so many things in this that that feel like bad screenwriter responses to notes where you're like, oh, (laughs) you know, well, (laughs) shouldn't we put a clock on the impending doom? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know how I'll fix that. One line of dialogue that's in voiceover. Yeah. You're like, yes, done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did, did my I, job. Did I get your it, note? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a classic not seeing the note behind the note kind of. Yeah. It's kind of uh, they like wrote it's, this in Google Docs and everyone did it in suggested mode. <laughs> but, you know, you start you got like five producers and then eventually you're like, I think I answered that one. Yeah. We'll move on. If I didn't, they'll get back to me. Uh, we have the scene where Tarn and, and, and Falcon try to steal the giant pearl, which is such an obvious trap that I can't believe anyone would fall for it. But, you know, that releases the mechanical sea monster. Yes, that's right. I said a mechanical sea monster. And, of course, Kaldor shows up just in time again to save them. But how do you blind? You blind the creature. You have to blind it. Like, it's it's a robot. Yeah. This is one time that he actually also needed Sonya. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Because he could he had to hold the monster and then she had to uh knife it in the eye cameras. Yeah. <laughs> I can't kill it. It's a machine. Terminator. It's a machine. Terminator reference. Oh boy. Uh, Jesus Christ. I found this to be the most uh painful scene, maybe in the entire movie. Just yeah. because it goes on forever forever like i was zoning out and truly like that'll happen sometimes like i'm looking at my notes and then i'm like hey what's on email here and would look (laughs) back up and like they were doing the same thing just arnold like just like holding on to that robot they were clearly (laughs) in love with this scene because they spent a lot of resources on it i mean you have underwater shots they had the tank you you need that tank and you got the you got you paid all that money for the for the sea serpent and you know you got to show it off um uh it's (laughs) and it's somewhere this around this movie that like again indicating a cut that was made because caldor refers to falcon by name and i don't think they had met at that point yet but at some point he seems to imply that he knows them already Mm -hmm. and here's where we get we learn that Kalidor is one of the lords who first gave the talisman to the temple, and he was on his way to destroy it. Now, again, my thesis is that this is an anti-feminist movie disguised as a feminist movie. It's interesting that the authority of this group of women who are overseeing this most powerful relic in the world, they were granted that authority by a group of men, and you have a man coming to destroy that power, and apparently he's just running late. Yeah. Running late, he, you know, he forgot his Google Calendar didn't update. Uh, you know, he got the invite, but he thought it was next weekend. He's like, "Oh shit, I gotta get over there." 
They're doing they're doing the giant pill box that's going to destroy the secret of the ooze. <laughs> Got to get rid of that thing. Uh, yeah. When Sonya asks why Calor follows her, he replies, "You didn't seem to want a man's help, but you needed it." Yeah. Well, and it's a good thing he was only following her because of his obligation to destroy the, uh, oh my God. And I forgot the name of the very broadly, the talisman, talisman. very broadly named, uh, you know, MacGuffin. (laughs) It could be anything. It sounds like something that hangs around your neck. But but it, it's it's okay because now it's like Chris. I think your thesis is all wrong because he was here on business. He was never after Red Sonia. Right, right. Uh, oh, he also wants to get some. Hashtag not all men, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he all he also wants to get some. So we're gonna have the fight to see if he can get some. Which I swear to God, when when Schwarzenegger takes like off his his like overcoat, I swear to God, I saw a napkin fall from his chest. <laughs> yes, it did. Like I, <laughs> it was the thing she was using to like dress his wound, but they didn't like attach oh, is it. Oh, that enough. what it was? I thought but it was it, from lunch. It looked like a. Na- it truly did look like they had craft. Uh, right before because yeah because that scene too is a bummer because it is like he goes from hashtag not all men to hashtag yes all men because yes, pretty quick men. he's yeah, just exactly. like let's fuck like and you're like come on get it together here jesus yeah and and, the, and they have the fight and you know like i think it's tarn is the one who says why does she fight so hard she doesn't want to win and i'm yeah. like just oh that's there's also the, it, the, the logic of like the only man that can have you has tried to kill you. Right. Was like such a like, ugh, like that's like early Freudian, like therapy topic, like that gone wrong. Like, it's just like, you ever think about that? You ever think about that? <laughs> um, but it's just such a bummer. And it is like you're watching, like, hear me out. This is one of my maybe crazier theses, but maybe it's not that crazy, is the way they've set this scene up is we're watching the two of them have sex. Effectively. This is essentially like ineffectively. Like they are like trying desperately. They look exhausted. (laughs) And it is weird. Like, again, you porn videos like Ernie Ray's Jr. is essentially learning his sexuality. Oh, through oh, that's terrible. Masturbating oh my God. because he's sword fighting with no one. But if you're replicating oh. that, the idea they are trying to put across is that this is sexual union. This is their demolition man style sexual union. Oh, my God. That Ernie Ray's, see that And then now. he is like, Ech, I'm sick of this. Like, he's <laughs> like, but it's just there's one shot where he's fighting himself while the two of them are in the background. Yeah. And you're like, you can't. Well, this is the problem. There it is. This is the problem when you layer in sexual stuff and complicated sexual politics and like, and you do it fast and loose. Like, it ends <laughs> up that we have to watch Ernie Rice Jr. masturbate with a sword in this movie. <laughs> well, now I now I can't unsee that. It's, I mean, it's going to be the... burned into your psyche. There's your yeah. next therapy session. You're welcome. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, my, my therapist thanks you very much hey, for, for the several the several <laughs> they, t- yeah, they gonna- sent me an email they were like can you get a couple more sessions out of them <laughs> I'm like yeah I got this crazy idea about Ernie Rage Jr at this point we're getting into the final act of the, the, the final attack on the castle uh you know, and, uh, you know, Eichol has just realized that Gedrin is a terrible, evil queen and just decides to take off. 
uh, more power to him. And, uh, you know, they, they, they climb up the castle um, and, and, but uh, Eichel opens the door anyway. And, you know, then he has an encounter with Ernie Reyes Jr. And trips going out the door and gets crushed under it, which is not as cool of a death as having your face melted off. Yeah. And that's actually my favorite moment in this whole movie is when they are deciding that they need to climb up to get into the castle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That is nice. And they all, uh, Sonia leads the charge, but then all of the other adults, Falcon and, uh, Kalidor, uh, play along with no one explicitly saying anything about it, which is amazing for this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where she's, she tricks, uh, Prince Tarn into staying behind because we need someone to guard the yeah. door and I can't do it. I got to go in and you know, you, and it's, it actually is. And the, again, it's what you said, Rob, about like when your tertiary characters have the biggest arcs in your movie, yeah, there's the problem. Right she's there. she's a really good mother. She if is. She just let herself be a mother. <laughs> Another dude idea. They're just like weirdly shoving it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is odd. I did. I, I, I liked this scene in this whole section. But and and the set design is great too. All that like yeah. it looks crazy. I don't love how's the food around here. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Falls in. yeah, yeah. Just like uh. so goofball. Like it just bummed me up. But I will say, yeah, that and also she pronounces Tally's man really yeah. broke it up. Uh, this is definitely the the getting squished by a rock is a scene that I must have seen in passing on HBO. Because that yeah. one I saw and I was like, oh, God, I don't feel good. Like, I got scared. Like, I didn't. That was something that stressed me out as a kid, clearly. And I felt stressed watching it. I was right. like, I should not be stressed by this movie. But so clearly it, it affected me. There's my therapy session. You you avoided giant circular doors from that on. You know, that's it's never going to do I, it. What, they eventually go out that door and you don't see his body there. That would have been that would have been the icing on the cake if when they open the door and there's just a mangled Ronald Lacey. But it, that it is all doors. Doors in this movie stress me out. I must have just seen all of the doors. Like them, her trying to squish under that gate that Ernie Ray's oh, Jr. Yeah. Yeah, struggled yeah. to get under. And I was like, you're not. You're going to die. This is killing me. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, in, filed in the under uh, the fast and loose category, when you have that door scene and Prince Tarn's kind of fighting him and you, it's a sword fight and you think, Oh my God, this is where what Sonya taught him how to not get disarmed is going to come into play. Yeah. And then he instantly gets disarmed. <laughs> like, yep. well, I guess, I, I guess she was yep. a bad teacher or something uh, because. Yeah, I take it back. I take it back. She shouldn't be a mother. Yeah. That's the other theme of this movie. They're trying to tell it's you. It's like if Miyagi <laughs> teaches you the crane kick and then you don't use it in yeah. the tournament. Yeah. It's like, it's, you don't use the special move. Yeah. The drum technique or whatever, you know, like depending on your karate kid flavor, yeah. you know, it's um yeah. And you, you you the battle, you have the fight. Uh, oh oh by the way, this is yeah, this is when Gedrin's mask comes off and her scar is not nearly as terrible as her mask. Um and 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 she can teleport. She has that moment where she can teleport out of nowhere. That flat screen TV, I guess. I guess that's the logic that the magician is doing it. I think so. I thought at first it was because of the flat screen TV because she does it first in front of it. But I guess he's just turning his remote control. It's like Adam Sandler's click. (laughs) He can just kind of do some shit with his remote. But what I did love when the mask came off because it allowed me to just imagine that Fleabag's sister was the villain all along. (laughs) (laughs) 
that would that would be amazing. <laughs> and now I'm 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 going to suggest a Red Sonia remake with Phoebe Waller Bridge. Sure. I'm just pitching that. I'm just pitching that right now. There is a remake in development hell since what is it 2009? I think Robert Rodriguez. And it was going to be uh, uh, Rose McGowan. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think they might be actually, I don't know. I, I thought I remember they actually went into production somewhere in Eastern Europe and I forget the director's name, but it was, it, it, it was a movie. A, the director also directed another movie based on a Robert E. Howard property called Solomon Kane. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, based yeah. on a, on a, on a different, and a movie that I watched years ago and surprisingly liked a yeah. lot. I was like, Oh, that, that was actually a good movie. So who knows? Maybe there's, there's there's hope for it, and we will be able to do it as part of a get me another Conan the Barbarian bonus <laughs> episode. It's just a bonus episode waiting to happen. Um, anyway, they go into the they have the the fight spills into the candle room. We have the bit with the door, um, and then you know there's still the problem of the talisman to deal with because they were going to throw down that not so big, but fortunately the castle was built over a lava pit, so the talisman can conveniently get thrown Stout, in there. Worked out. It's glad they Done. did that. Great. She could fall in the lava some- like Hans Gruber, and then yeah. they're just like, yeah. what do I do with this thing? Throw it in. Whatever. Who cares? Chris, I, I thought of you. I thought of you because the villain fell from a great height to her death. I love villains who <laughs> fall from great heights. That's my it's my it's my jam. It's great. Uh, it does take them forever to get out of that castle, by the way, after they've dispatched. It's forever. I'm like, oh, it was the it was the water uh, Universal Studios backlot tour again, <sighs> all over again, because I started looking down because I knew that it was almost <laughs> over. And I looked up and I was like, they're still opening doors and holding doors like it oh, does God. not stop the end. It's like they needed to pad it. They like said, we need five more minutes. Let's do this. Yeah, we need to get to, to 89 minutes yeah. like we, we can't go shorter than that or it's not an actual feature film. Uh, we pre-sold it in Alabama as an 89-minute movie. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make it, man. Uh, yeah, and then, of course, we end with a short, perfunctory sword fight between Sonya and Conan. Sorry, Kalidor. She pronounced this line when she pronounced She goes, that's a challenge I might think about someday. <laughs> How about now? Oath to Glenda the Blue Fairy be damned. She just wants to bone at this point. That's the crazy but, part you know, is you forget that there was a blue fairy at one point giving <laughs> magical powers. Yeah. Did not remember yes. that. Uh, it, like every time you bring it up, I'm like, all right, I guess that was a plot part of this movie, but not really. <laughs> we never, we never see her after. Like, there's she appears in the opening scene, and then we might hear her voice when she's choosing a sword. Oh yeah, know, right, the, maybe the, you know. But that's, but it's unclear. And I will say too, ends on a weirdly framed, just last shot. Yeah, yeah. Like it's an off-center, yeah. kiss between the two of them. But not artfully so. Like it just like feels like, and we and I agree that it it does look good for huge chunks of it. But it was shocking to end on like, oh, we just threw the camera up. Like, oh, we should have framed it. And I, given the era, had expected a freeze frame right when their swords clashed, and that we could figure the rest out for ourselves. Uh, but no, yeah, that would be great. Honestly, it's kind of malpractice that it wasn't like that. that there wasn't a freeze yeah. frame at the end of this movie. Like that's because it's also. I would have rather had the freeze frame, and then maybe like a Robert Tepper song kicks in. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> it's also like there is no easy There's way no out easy of this sword out. fight. Uh, and but instead, it's like the uncomfortableness of them actually kissing 
they don't actually look that comfortable kissing. Yeah, it feels weird. And you're like, you had an affair on set, and this is how it looks. And then they double it up with a poorly planned, <laughs> ill-framed shot that one week in film school would have said, hey, maybe we want to uh, put something else in the frame. But, you know, Godspeed. Yeah. Uh, Red Sonja, unfortunately, was not a box office success. It made about $6 million off of an $18 million budget. Uh, and and I think, again, the, 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 my thing about this movie is it, the disappointing thing is the potential that it had. And it feels like this is a movie that could have been amazing and most of that potential yeah. was unrealized. And that's that's kind of the sad part of it is like, oh, you could have had this amazing sort of wide release, unlike Matt Simber's Hundra, which never got a wide release. You got a wide release, uh, incredible, you know, sword and sorcery movie with a female protagonist. And you just, you just didn't like, it just, it feels, it's tough to feel truly feminist when your female antagonist is incompetent and your female protagonist constantly needs to yeah. be rescued by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, and if you're a person who hates like over analyzing uh, cultural themes in movies, I also think it's just like surprisingly just kind of boring. Yeah. Like even if you got like for the, for the people who hate that analyze, like which I obviously love to do all the time but like movie wise itself on the most base level it's surprisingly disappointing like i think for being a movie i was like always as a kid being like i guess i should rent red sony at some point like i love schwarzenegger but i was surprised actually how disappointed i was in most of it like in in and and that so and that uh many of the others that i saw that you covered in this series even if they're much lower budget even if they have either the Corman touch or what have you, like are more interesting at the very least. So many Corman, cor- so many Corman sword and sorcery films. We're yeah. not even quite done with them in the series as well. We have at least one more to go. I'm sure. I mean, that is a beauty. I, we've been thinking a lot about just not to make it a us versus new world pictures podcast. I love you two guys. You guys, you two guys are, are like, it's like the peanut butter and and chocolate of of of, of movie podcast. I love you. Well, because they are. I do think there's an interest. I mean, there's such a correlation, obviously, between the two. And and I'm always like, it's been coming up a lot lately. Of thinking like, well, what is the difference between Canon and Corman? Like, because it's just like in my mind, like Canon is a right. little bit more. It's saying innovators for them is hard to say completely, but they are. <laughs> Versus Corman, like they want to copy themselves yeah. to some extent versus Corman is right. very much like that worked for someone else. Let's do 20 of them, but they'll probably right. be pretty good. And this is one where you're like, it I, I, it feels like why Red Sonja ultimately beyond the what should probably be more important is the, 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 the wrong messageness of this movie, even more so than most 80s <laughs> right. movies is that it has a potential that is unbelievably not lived up to. Like, with a canon film, you're like, yeah, man, it's canon. Like, what a low budget they've got. 10 to midnight, man. It's it's 10 to midnight. It's 10 to midnight. You know, you don't, don't remake that. You've, you've exactly. achieved what you're and going like, to and achieve. And they're doing it usually you know? on a lower budget a, and, 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 and working harder and doing the moves that where you're like, yeah, that's impressive. In this case, I'm just like, you got all the keys to the castle. And you led us to a fucking boring castle, yeah. <laughs> like ultimately, like the barbarians <laughs> surprised me more as a movie than Red Sonia did. Yeah, and, I agree. I mean, as and barbarians is bonkers. I I I do love it for what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Barbarians at least has the Italian 
just insanity yes. of just like a dream logic. Yeah. But again, is a lower budget. I just like I I I we have we have a harder time because we know it's impossible to get things wa- made. We know it's impossible to get scripts through. Um right. and we have a, we we try our best to like not be like, "Oh, that's just a dumb shot." But when it's a big budget movie, right. we have a lot less of a problem pointing it out. Cuz again, it's just like you have the keys to the castle, man. Like if it's a Shane Black movie and there's some problem in it, like again, keys to the castle, yeah. <laughs> like Richard, like all of it, like, but, and this feels like a keys to the castle movie more than some of the others. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it, it cost about the same amount as much as Conan and the Destroyer. So it's not like, oh, they, they, they cut it down where it was like, they, they should have been able to pull this off. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, as, as it, there, there, we, there we I'm are. I'm glad I um, finally watched it. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the reasons I picked it. Like, and I was like, "Well, we'll get to this maybe eventually." As like it could have been, but maybe not. But I need to just like check off all of the Schwarzenegger boxes. Is really what it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode, Jeff. Thank, thank you, you of course, so much for joining us. It has thank been an absolute me. blast. Um, can you tell tell people where they can find the Canon Canon out there in the in the world and in social media and that sort of thing? Yeah, so uh, Canon Canon can be found. It's the Canon Canon two ends at the beginning for Canon. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, I don't think we do any Facebook. I don't do Facebook. Um, and then yeah, you can find our podcast anywhere uh, you find podcasts. We did have shirts, but uh, MGM or Warner Brothers just recently took us down for a copyright thing which i don't believe oh, no. is actually oh. legal but uh i think we're under rights but i didn't feel like fighting it so yeah we might have merch at some point we have a patreon patreon.com uh slash the canon canon like i've said i try to not be so weirdly negative but we're like in the dregs a little bit of canon movies so we're seeing where we go with the podcast uh but also uh while i'm here uh check out another podcast i do called 108.9 the hawk um, it's a it's a fake uh, oh. classic rock radio station uh, broadcasting out of Valverde. That's awesome. Uh, which is a, in an unknown state. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that if you haven't fantastic. checked it out, uh, check it out. Uh, it's this. It's essentially it's like the number eight classical classic rock station in Valverde. Uh, we have a crazy amount of characters. <laughs> uh, it's a crazy world, but you can kind of jump in anytime. We've had Tom Sharpling on, Julie Klausner. Uh, we got John Daly coming up, uh, Paul Shear, I believe. Um, and yeah, uh, it's 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 nice. almost all improvised. It has fake commercials. There's a lot of '80s rock stars who own businesses uh, in Valverde. <laughs> Of um, course there is. You got to go get your transmission checked at, yeah, Mike and the Mechanic. <laughs> uh, Mike Rutherford takes time <laughs> off of Genesis Tour to work on your transmission. <laughs> uh, but yeah, check out 108.9 The Hawk. We got big things coming with that this year. And uh, my old bands, Orchid, Panthers, Low Estate, all my stuff. I got a lot of stuff out there. Nice. You can find me at Jeff Garlock and GarlockBandCamp.com. All that good stuff. Oh, and if and look, I'm going to keep going. My, I'll give you a little bit more. Do it. Uh, if you got a kid, uh, check out Pup Detectives. Those are some uh, children's graphic novels I write for Simon and Schuster. Um, I got uh, eight of them out. They're very fun. They're like film noir. I fit in uh, Easter eggs oh. usually to like some canon movies and stuff. But uh, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of stuff out there you can find. But those are the main ones. One way point nine, the Hawk and Canon Canon. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. And we hope everyone enjoyed the show. Uh, please come back next week for our ninth and final episode in our Get Me Another Conan the Barbarian series, where we'll be talking about one last Roger Corman sword and sorcery film, Deathstalker 2. Uh, and we'll also have we'll also talk a little bit about how the genre transitioned uh, into television in the 90s. And then one last film based on the works of Robert E. Howard, that is 1997's Call the Conqueror. Uh, we thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Get Me Another Pod. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me another. <laughs>